Good morning all, how are we? Am I coming through? Yes, I am. Awesome. Um, yeah, so if you notice that Ken's is not here, she's not well, so she stayed home this morning. Um, she was in bed all day yesterday, and so um, I just uh, think of her and, and anyone else who's um, feeling a bit under the weather. Um, before we get into the word, let's just um, bow our heads one more time in prayer and ask God to bless us with his um, presence and his um, word. Heavenly Father, we are here before you. We are here to um, acknowledge you as the author of your word and we pray and ask that you um, edify this morning, build us up, strengthen us and give us hope. May your word be um, um, a light, uh, lighting the path uh, to uh, Christ. And um, may we... Um, Understand it this morning, maybe make sense of it, and maybe uh, find ways to apply it in life. We also pray for those who are not feeling well and who aren't here this morning. I ask that you be with them and uh, strengthen them, that they may be um, be revitalized and back and part of this community again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The text from Genesis chapter 34. So I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's one long story. If we can have the first slide up, I've got the, um, um, the reading up on the screen. If you could just follow with me. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the woman of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give it to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised? 
for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give you our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. Oh, well, just one second. I think I've cut and pasted twice here. The words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honoured of all his father's house. So Hamor, his son Shechem, came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while he felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses. They captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? I've titled this sermon, this message this morning, The Ugliness of Sin. And as we can see from the reading, this is not a pleasant story. Nothing good happens. A lot of bad happens and that's it. We see sin along with all its ugliness. And we wonder why God put this story into the scriptures. Why do we need to know this? And how does this story edify us? How does it encourage us? How does it build us up? Well, since God put it here, he intended it to build us up, to encourage us, and it does. And that is what I plan to show you this morning. 
I want to show you how this story fits into the bigger picture of God's story. Why God put it here and why we need to know it. And I want to show you how the ugliness of sin encourages us, how it encourages us to desire the law of God and the one who came to fulfill the law of God. I want to show you why we need the law to bring about justice in this world and why we need Christ, the one who is both just and the justifier of all who believe. But before we do this, we're going to consider the text. And we're going to look at three points. Three points that show us sin's ugly head within the story. We're going to look at the defilement of Dinah, the deception of her brothers, and the destruction of a city. So hopefully that's easy for you to remember. So the defilement of Dinah, the deception of her brothers, and the destruction of a city. Let's start with the first. The defilement of Dinah. So what's happened until the defilement of Dinah is this. Jacob and his family have fled Laban, his father-in-law. Um, Jacob decided, now that, now that Jacob has worked all the many years for his wives, he's decided he wants to go back to his homeland in Canaan. And he had to flee because there was a lot of deception and deceit that happened there. He was first deceived um, by his father-in-law. He was promised he would get Rachel. And he worked seven years for her, but he got Leah instead. Then he worked another seven years and finally got Rachel. And then Laban wouldn't let him go. So he worked, made a deal with Laban, and he worked so that... Uh, to build up his wealth. And he said to Laban, can have all the clean and unspotted animals while Jacob takes all the unclean and spotted animals. But Jacob, being the master breeder that he was, he bred, so that, he bred the animals so that they're all <laughs> unclean and spotted. So he, Laban saw that you know, Jacob deceived him and took all his wealth. So he had to flee. They kind of made up on the way. And um, as Jacob was making his way to Canaan, he wrestled with God because um, he knew he had to meet up with his brother Esau. Um, and that's, this is when God says to him that, you know, you're going to be given a new name. We're going to call you Israel. It doesn't quite stick with him until in chapter 35 where God says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. And I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. But if you, if you know the story between Jacob and Esau, there was deception there as well. Um, Esau came in one day really, really hungry, starving. You know, when our kids come from school and they're starving because they didn't eat their lunch. Um, yeah, so this, this would have been Esau starving. And he sees Jacob with some food. And he says, give me that red stuff. The food is red in color. And so Jacob um, tricks him and says, look, you know, I'll give it to you, but give me your birthright. It'll cost you your birthright. 
And then there was another time um, when Jacob received a blessing from Isaac instead of Esau. The mother deceived um, Isaac um, by uh, making some delicious food and dressing um, Jacob, up, Jacob up in goat hair to make him feel like Esau. Esau was a hairy man. So there's a lot of deception in the story. So he had to meet up with his, his brother Esau, and to his surprise, Esau embraced him. Then after this event, Jacob made his way to Succoth. This is where he built himself a house and booths for his livestock. The livestock were very tired. They needed some time to rest. And you'll probably see why he stopped many, many times and built an altar or did something else. He needed to take care of the livestock. Otherwise, they will die on such a long journey. From Succoth, he journeyed to the city of Shechem. Okay, he camped before the city and bought the land on which he camped on from the sons of Hamor and Hivite. Hamor the Hivite, and there he erected an altar to God. So he came to Shechem, camped there, bought the land on which he camped on, and built an altar to God. So now that's the um, history leading up to this story. So we kind of find this uh, a few chapter from from maybe a few chapters before chapter thirty-four. So we get to chapter thirty-four, and now Dinah, who is Jacob's daughter, from his marriage to Leah, went out to see the other women of the land, and she went out alone. Maybe she, maybe she wanted um, the companion of someone her age. Maybe she wanted to check out the other women, see what the lo local fashion is. But she went out, and she went out alone. And Shechem, who's one of the sons of Hamor, the prince of the land, saw Dinah, abducted her, and raped her. Now, in the translation that I read to you earlier, that's the ESV translation, it said that Shechem lay with her and humiliated her. But if you look at another translation like the NRSV, um, it reads that he lay with her by force. And most scholars would agree that this is what happened. This is abduction and rape. And so throughout the narrative, Dinah is identified as a sister who is defiled. She's been defiled. She's kept in Shechem's house. She's identified as unclean and dirty. That's what defiled means, unclean and dirty. And in ancient times, people weren't individually orientated, but they were group orientated. So if Dinah was unclean, so was the rest of her family. And this is really, really important to understand because I think what people do is we kind of read our own culture into the story and we say, oh, you know, we treat Dinah as an individual rather than part of a, uh, a family or part of a tribe. And um, we need to understand that whatever happened to Dinah just didn't happen to her, but to everyone else who's in her family. And here we have the ugliness of sin in the defilement of Dinah. Here we have her abduction and rape that defiled her and her whole family. And it's not the first time in the scripture that we see 
such gross sexual sin. And there are other times, I don't want to get to them, but if you can think of it, perhaps Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we might ask the question, why did God put this here and why do we need to know this? How does this edify, encourage or build us up? Well, it's here to show us that we need a law to help us deal with situations like this one. So this is a time before Israel, as a nation, had the law written down. And in this story, we see that that we need a law to help us to know what to do in these kind of situations, to help us on how to respond justly. We need the law because we need justice. So how did Jacob respond? He said nothing. He was silent pretty much all the way through the narrative except towards the end. And how did his sons respond? Well, let's find out. Let's look at the next point. Next point, the deception of her brothers. So the first point, the defilement of Dinah. Second point, the deception of her brothers. Now the story just gets uglier and uglier. So Shechem, after abducting and raping Dinah, is now in love with her and wants her for his wife. He enlists his father to make it happen, to negotiate with Jacob and broker a deal for her hand in marriage. The deal is to make marriages between the two people, between the two people groups and to share the land. That's what the deal is. And this is somewhat problematic for Jacob, as he knows, not to intermarry with the Canaanites. Maybe this is why he was silent. He didn't know what to do. He didn't have a law that showed him exactly what to do. Perhaps Shechem is doing the right thing and wanting to marry her. You know, later on in um, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 28 to 29... We find that Moses wrote down that if a man took a virgin by force or raped her, he is forced to marry her and never to divorce her. So maybe Shechem is thinking that perhaps he's obligated to do this, to marry her. But Dinah can't marry the Canaanite person because the Canaanite people are unclean. They're uncircumcised. They don't bear the sign of the covenant. She's been defiled by one. She's been made unclean by one. So there's a bit of tension in this, in this story. Jacob is aware that God promised to give the land to him and his descendants. He knew that it was not to come from Hamor or Shechem or through into marriage with the Canaanites. It was to come from God. So there's tension. Perhaps this is the reason why Jacob was, was silent throughout the story or why he didn't know what to do. Jacob was silent, but his sons were not. And they came in from the field as soon as they heard about it. So what did Jacob's sons do? They deceived the Shechemites into believing that they will become one people on the condition that the Shechemite men be circumcised. 
They said it's a disgrace to them to give her sister to one who is uncircumcised. Now, I don't think this, this um, trickery is going to fix the situation, even if, it, if, if they were genuine in the deal. They tricked Hamor, they tricked Shechem, and they tricked all the men of the city. And if you think about it, deception and trickery just runs in the family. I told you about some of the cases earlier. It just runs in the family. So Hamer and Shechem are all for the plan to be circumcised. And they tell everyone else to do so. I think this is a pretty good deal. In fact, when Hamer and Shechem address the men at the gate, they ask the men this question. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Maybe, maybe the Shechemites had a different intention in this scenario. Maybe, maybe they had a sinister plan to defile, defile Dinah for the purpose of opening the door to intermarriage. Maybe they did this. Let's make her unclean, force them to marry us, marry with us, and then we can take their livestock. I don't know. It's just a just something I'm thinking. Maybe they wanted to open the door to gain access to Jacob's livestock. If you remember in the story, Jacob already bought land from them. Maybe they thought, oh, this is a wealthy people. Maybe we can take advantage of them. They can take all the livestock, property, and animals. And circumcision may seem like a very small price to pay for a lot of gain. Maybe this is what, what the Shechemites were thinking. Now, we don't know for certain, but we can only speculate. However, what we do know for certain is that the sons of Jacob intentionally sought to deceive the Shechemites. This was premeditated. They, must, they would have planned this. It doesn't seem like they made it up as they go. And why did they do this? To get their sister back and to enact revenge on Hamor and Shechem. They wanted their sister back and they wanted to be um, enacting revenge. Now, is this the right way to go about it? Is this the just way? I can't help but think of the, um, the Lego Batman movie. Now, I've seen this many times. Obviously, Rowan loves his Lego, and for a year he'll probably watch Lego Batman once a week. Um, but there's a line in the movie, and Batman says to Robin, "We have to do a, we, we have to right a wrong, and sometimes in order to right a wrong, you have to do a wrong right." Obviously, Batman's a vigilante. Um, now, in this story, could they be righting a wrong by doing a wrong right? Was that their plan? That is, to do the wrong thing to make it right? Is this justice? See, the sons of Jacob need a law, and so do we. We need a law not just to show us how to deal with situations like this, but to restrain us in situations like this, lest we become a law unto ourselves. We need a law to stop us from doing the wrong thing to make things right. Because if we aren't restrained, the consequences may be far worse. 
as they are in this story. Now let's see what the consequences are. Let's see what they are. Let's have a look at the last point. The destruction of a city. So the sons of Jacob did not have the intention to fulfill the deal they made with Hamor and Shechem. That wasn't their goal. In fact, they intended to destroy them. To kill every man in the city. And so Simeon and Levi did just that. Killed every man in the city and rescued their sister. They enacted revenge. And I thought, let's show them justice by avenging for defiling their sister. And the rest of the brothers joined them, plundering the city. They, didn't, they weren't involved in the killing, but they plundered the city and taking whatever that was in the city, including the women and children, probably to sell them as slaves. Who knows? The story doesn't tell us. And now Jacob speaks up and responds to the violence that has just occurred. His silence is broken. This is when we actually get to hear him. And I don't know why he, saw, he was silent before. Maybe he didn't know what to do. Maybe there's just too much tension in the story and he didn't have a lord to help him with it. But he speaks now and he rebukes Simeon and Levi for the monstrous act of deceiving the Shechemites and killing all the men. He tells them that they made him stink to all the other inhabitants in the land of Canaan. His name now stinks. And probably a good reason why in chapter 35, God said, no longer you are going to be called Jacob, you're going to be called Israel. Maybe he needed a new name because the other one stunk too much. So the sons put their family in danger to the other inhabitants of the land. And these were the consequences. Not, not better, but worse. These sons need the Lord to show them their sin. And so do we. We need the Lord to show us our sin. We need the Lord to show us how we fall short and how we miss the mark. What would happen if we never had the law of God to live by? What would happen? We might seek justice, but how would that look like? Would it be every person for themselves? Would we deceive each other? In the name of justice? What would our lives look like? We may say that we're on the side of justice, but how would we ever know whose justice is the right one? It would be everyone for themselves or every people group for themselves. So, how does this story fit into the bigger picture of God's story? And how does this story edify, encourage and build us up? Well, we learn that sin is ugly and it's present throughout this story. We see the diner is abducted and raped, defiled, she's made unclean. And her brothers are cunning, deceptive. They think they're enacting justice, 
through revenge. And we see a lot of destruction. They destroy the people because they defile their sister. It is genocide. We also learn through this story that we need the law. We need it to help us deal with situations like this one. We need a law to help us know what to do, how to respond justly. We also need a law to restrain us in situations like this. The law does restrain us. For example, and I'll use this um, seatbelt in a car. By law, we're all required to wear it to restrain us, to hold us down. Because if we were to have an accident, the consequences can be far greater. It's a good thing, yeah? We need this kind of restraint. Or traffic lights, stop signs. We need restraint to allow other people to pass. Because if it is everyone for themselves, we'll have far too many accidents on the road. We also need the Lord to show us our sin, where we fall short and miss the mark. Now one thing we also need to remember is that the law will never permanently save us. Maybe temporarily, yes. But never permanently. Because we're always going back to it. We're always going back to the law to find out how can we make sense of situations? How can we make things right? How can we act justly? And then we can also go back to the law to show us how it restrains us in um, all kinds of situations. So we don't end up doing the right thing. Or we can go back to the law to see how we've missed missed the mark, how we've fallen short. And it's continuous. It's continuous. It's continuous. And it's never going to end. So the law doesn't save. It's not going to save us. But that's why we need Christ to save us. To show us how to live out the law perfectly. To live it out on our behalf perfectly. And then pay the penalty for the sin on our behalf. We need Christ to make us clean. We need Christ to make us pure. We need Christ to make us spotless. Let's let's pray and we'll thank God for his word. Heavenly Father, we we are truly blessed by your word. It's, It's a difficult subject. It's a difficult passage to understand to see how it fits into the bigger story. But we know now, Lord, that without your law, it would be everyone for themselves, doing justice in their own name. But we need to be grounded, Lord. And we thank you for showing us the way. We also thank you that Though we always fall short, 
but you've pointed us to Christ. The one who's fulfilled the law perfectly to show us how to live and also pay the penalty for our sins. Thank you for your grace. May we be um, blessed this afternoon. May we think of you and everything we do. May all glory be to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.